Thanks, Pastor Doug. Appreciate that. I'm just going to borrow this stand. Thank you, um, worship team, just for leading us to the throne of God. What a blessing it was just to, to worship you, with you, and in particular to the brother who um, can play two instruments at the same time. I mean, that's, well, what an incredible talent. You know, um, one of the joys, first of all, that I get out of what we're going to talk about today is that when God allows you to be married for 28 years, you get a chance to see his grace interact with you, uh, particularly in your marriage. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 20. You can either turn on or turn over to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to look at this context today that I want to give you just um, from my own perspective if you wanted to title this sermon, it would be The Offensiveness of Grace. The Offensiveness of Grace. Now, all of us enjoy grace. I'm a great fan of grace. Uh, I recognize grace is more than what we say over our meal. It's what we experience. Grace, by its definition, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is God's unmerited favor or his undeserved favor towards us. In other words, we receive that which we don't deserve. Amen. That's God's grace. But somehow, grace in itself, 
according to Matthew chapter 20, as we just glean at this passage of scripture, that I found grace to be offensive. Read with me. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, and I'm reading from a new international version, who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble, like you might be doing right now, against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Your blood should be boiling about right now. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Father, thank you again for the moment I have with my brothers and sisters. Now, God, would you open up your word and would you communicate truth to us that not only challenges us, but changes us. For us in Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen. And amen. Grace can be offensive. I want to give you three things in my own observation from this particular text. First of all, in order to appreciate it, you need to know the motive of this parable. The motive of this parable is really found in a conversation that Jesus was having in Matthew chapter 19 with his own disciples. He was sharing with them in Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 20, uh, or verse 16, that there was a rich young ruler. And he would just share with the rich young ruler that here you have an individual who has done right seemingly before the Lord, and he's been that faithful follower of the law. And Jesus says, if you really want riches, what you have to do is you have to give up everything that you have and give to the poor and then come and receive riches in heaven. And it tells us that the rich young ruler face dropped, he grew sad, and he went away. And then Jesus heard a question from his disciples. And the questions came in verse 23 where he says, well then, Lord, who can be saved? In which Jesus says, only with God are all these things made possible. Then he concludes it in Matthew 19 by saying, 
Those who seem important will not be, but those who are not important will be. And then he invites them to this parable. Look at the moments of the parable. Begin at verse 1. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to look for workers to work in his vineyard. Obviously, he's allowing us to know that this landowner had a huge vineyard. And because the vineyard was huge, the landowner was looking for laborers to work in his vineyard. So he called and he put out an invitation. Several individuals we found first approached him at 6 o'clock in the morning. This is what the landowner and those who came to work in his vineyard conversation began with, verse 2. They agreed, according to the landowner, to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. He hires these men who agreed to earn a day's wages. That's what a denarius is, a day's wages. So you just add up what you get paid for a day. And you start work at 6 o'clock in the morning in this sizable vineyard or estate that this landowner owns. Notice what he tells them, verse 3. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, the downtown area. And he saw some people standing there doing nothing. It wasn't that they was just not doing anything. It was the fact that in the marketplace was the place where people were gathered so that they would, for those who wanted work like day laborers, would stand there and wait for those who were looking for individuals who needed work, and then they would go with them to be hired. So you gathered in the marketplace not to be lazy, but you gathered in the marketplace looking for work in which these individuals work. We find out that this third hour or 9 o'clock in the morning, as he goes into this marketplace, he invites them to attend his vineyard. Verse 4, so he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. See, the marketplace is a place where you are not looking to be apathetic, but it's a place where you're seeking help. So the landowner tells them, you come to my vineyard, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and you work my vineyard, you work in my vineyard, and I, at the end of the day, will pay you what is right. So these laborers understood that if we go to work, we're going to get a percentage of the denarius or a percentage of the day's wages. So they go. Verse 5. So they went to work in the vineyard, and at noon, and then again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Usually, this would be unusual for a landowner to go at 12 o'clock noon and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon looking for laborers. But because this estate was so sizable, and oftentimes landowners who were harvesting wanted to make sure that they were able to harvest before there would be some unpredictable events that would occur, unpredictable windstorms, sandstorms, or weather that can occur. 
And so he goes 12 o'clock in the afternoon and 3 o'clock in the afternoon looking for laborers because the urgency in the harvest was great. Verse 6. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again. And he saw some more people standing around and he asked them, why have you been working today? They replied, no one hired us. The landowner told them, then you go out and you join the others that are in my vineyard. Now it's five o'clock in the evening. The day is about to end at six o'clock. Can you imagine when you're at work and you know it's about to be over at five o'clock and one of your co-workers come in at four o'clock? Can you imagine school's about to be over at 3.30 and somebody show up at 2.30? What would you tell them? You should have done what? Stay at home. But it's 5 o'clock and they show up to the vineyard to work for an hour. Verse 8. That evening, he told the foreman, the landowner, to call the workers in and pay them beginning with the last workers first. Verse 9, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wages. Each received a full day's wages. We're talking about the individuals who just got here. 5 o'clock. How many of you like a boss like that? I showed up for one hour, and I got a full day's wages. Verse 10 says, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more because they, too, were paid a day's wages. Now, obviously, if you've been at the vineyard since 6 o'clock in the morning, and you're in line waiting to be compensated, and the individuals that you knew just got there and they got a full day's wages, then your expectation is, well, if they get a full day's wages, then obviously I'm going to get much more. So can you imagine standing in line looking at the fact that you're about to be blessed? <laughs> then the landowner opens his wallet and pays you the same amount that the individual just, that came at 5 o'clock and just showed up received. Verse 11 says, when they received their pay, they did something. They protested. The Greek word for protested is feelings like there was a riot that was about to happen. In other words, these guys who received the same amount as the guys that just showed up said, oh, I'm about to lose my mind up in here. Up in here. They were, they, their feelings of rage were about to develop. So they said to the landowner, those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day long in the scorching heat. That we bear, we, we bear the brunt of the sun all day long, and you want to give them the same thing you gave me? Do you know how that feel? Some of you know how that feel. 
I've been on my job for seven years. He just got here and got promoted. I, I, I went to a friend's home two weeks ago, and I bought a brand new refrigerator for a certain amount of money. I go to my friend's house. He got the same refrigerator two weeks ago, two weeks later, and he paid less. That ain't right. I'm at, uh, I'm at my daughter's basketball game, and it's halftime, and I go and I buy a brat and a drink for $3. Fourth quarter, they announced brats of uh, 25 cents. That ain't right. That ain't right. I've been in church for several years, and she just got here for a few months and teaches Sunday school. That ain't right. I've been studying for this test for a week now. They ain't even study, and I get a C, and they get an A. That ain't right. Amen. That ain't right. And so these laborers were protesting, this cannot be right. And then the landowner, as Jesus is sharing, gives the message about this parable. In verse 13, he answered one of them and he said, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? In other words, did I cheat you? No, you didn't cheat me, but it still feels like it. How do you go from me laboring at 6 a.m. and they showing up at 5 p.m. and you see that we deserve the same? Verse 14, the, Jesus said that the landowner told the crowd and the laborers, take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as I paid you. He wanted us to get a chance to understand that in this particular context, that we're not talking about time. We're talking about grace. It's about grace. Sometimes I said, Lord, do I, do I want you to judge me based upon time or about your grace? And God reminds me, you don't want to be judged about based on time. He says, you've been a believer for over how many years and you shared your faith with how many people? You've been born again for how many years and you memorized how many passages of scripture? You prayed and you promised how many times that you and yet have not kept your promises? You've been involved in church for how many years and still don't have a ministry in it? You make it how much and you tithe how much? Do you want to be judged based upon time or grace? <laughs> so verse 15, he says, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Or should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Yeah, I'm jealous. If I think about it, I know it's your money, Lord. But when I think about the times I stand faithfully and patiently in the Walmart line, and the line grows longer, and then they open up a national cash register, and everybody behind me goes. When the plane is crowded 
and he recognized no more seats are available in coach, and a person that on standby get a chance to now sit in first class, I got a problem with that. I, I get a problem sometimes when friends of ours were joining us on an off-Broadway play production, and they late, and instead of wanting to disturb the crowd for them coming in, they take them all the way around and put them in orchestra seating. That ain't right. So grace sometimes can be offensive. Offensive. How much more offensive, Lord, can it be? Verse 16, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last, for many are called, but few are chosen. God continues to extend this grace thing to all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done. This puzzled me at first, but careful study allows us to understand this context of Jesus' matchless love. That last song that we sung just resonated. Because his grace can be rough to us. Think about the lady who has been mean to you all her life. And now she's sick and she's dying and someone shows up and she has Christ with her. And now she's going to spend all of eternity with you. I'll never forget Craig, this guy named Craig. Since we were young, he would terrorize us, punching us in the chest for no reason, just doing all kinds of horrific things. And I saw when Craig was on his deathbed in prison, that a prison chaplain comes and shares the word of God with him, and Craig says, I do to the truth of God's word. And now he's going to be in heaven with me. Imagine, I understand Jonah. Jonah said, don't send me to Nineveh. Do you understand how the Ninevites were? They were the first gangbangers in history. These guys were ruthless. They would rape the children, rape, rape their wives. They would skin men's bodies and put their heads up on posts. These guys were ruthless. And you want me to go and share the gospel with them? Nineveh, he goes to Nineveh, shares the word of the Lord, and they repent. And they're going to spend all of eternity with Jonah. And Jonah wasn't rejoicing. He was angry. I knew instead of them getting your justice, they were going to get your grace. Grace can be offensive, but God gives grace to all of humanity so that even those at the very last breath of their body that says yes to Jesus in their heart will spend eternity with him because of his grace. The same as those of you who have been walking with Jesus for over 30 years. That's his grace. I said, Lord, how does grace really truly work? And so he gave me an illustration about a guy named Bob. He said, Bob was caught up in the spirit one day where he saw a dream and a vision. And he was there with the Lord, and they stood by to observe this baseball game. It was the Lord's team playing Satan's team. 
The Lawrence team was at bat, but the score was tied zero to zero. And it was at the very bottom of the ninth inning with two outs. They continued to watch as this big, burly batter named Love stepped up to the plate. Love swung at the first pitch and hit a single. That was great, Bob said. Yes, answered the Lord. Love never fails. <laughs> the next batter got up. This little strong, strong little boy called Faith got up to the plate. He slapped a single right into right field. Wonderful, said Bob. Yes, answered the Lord. Faith and love work well together. The next batter was Godly Wisdom. Satan wound up, and he threw the very first pitch. Godly Wisdom looked it over and let it pass. Bob looked at a little confused. He says, well, that looked good to me. The Lord shook and said, no, it wasn't. And Godly Wisdom is never fooled by Satan pitches. Ball one. There were more pitches, and Godly Wisdom walked, and the bases was loaded. The Lord then turned to Bob and told him he was going to bring in his star player. Up to the plate stepped Grace. Grace was this scrawny, gentle-looking player. He doesn't look like much, Bob said. Satan's whole team began to relax when they saw, when they saw Grace. They started jeering him and shouting hoops at him. Thinking they won the game, Satan wound up and fired his first pitch. To Bob's amazement, Grace hit the ball so high into the stars, but Satan was not worried because the center fielder was the prince of the power of the air, so he let very few get by. He jumps up, he shoots for the ball, but the ball takes him right through his glove, spins him around, sends him crashing down on the ground. The ball continues to sail through space, giving the Lord's team a winning home run. Bob gave the Lord a puzzled look. He says, why can't love, why can't faith, why can't godly wisdom hit a homer like that? The Lord replied, love, faith, and godly wisdom are great players, but only grace can get you home. Amen. God in his graciousness to us as the body of Christ says that I extend my grace for as long as I extend it. That's what the parable is for, is to let you know that today is always a great day to receive his grace. The joy of God's love for us is so immeasurable that every single day we get a chance to either experience his grace or see it right around us. I encourage you, don't leave here today without God's grace. When we moved to Kansas City four years ago, I noticed that as I was getting settled and set up for a house, my wife hadn't got there yet, and uh, I decided I, I needed to get some things for the house, and I went driving, and I saw that there was a price chopper, and so I went in the price chopper, and they had all these sales, and so I had gathered all these drinks and all these items that were on sale, and, and I said, man, I'm going to do like my wife. I'm going to catch a sale. You know? <laughs> And so I go up there, and she rings me up, and then she asks me for my price chopper card. I said, what price chopper card? She says, you're not a member for price chopper? I said, no, I'm not a member. She says, well, you can't really get it at a discounted price. You're going to have to pay the regular price. I said, well, I don't think I could do that, you know. And so I said, do you mind if I put some of these things back? Because I don't have the money to be able to cover that. She said, but you could always go and file for a membership, but it won't cover your items today. 
I said thank you, and I left um, a little salty, a little upset about all those items. And I go and get in the car, and I notice that my gas gauge is low. And I never usually let it get low, but it was low. And so I, I drive over to an area called Zona Rosa, and as I was going to go to the gas station, I noticed Zona Rosa was having this festival, and it said free food and items in this tent. And so I go to get up, and I, I park the car, and I go to get me some free food and, and, and free items that was in the tent. But as soon as I got into the tent, she said, can I see your, your ID? I said, I don't have an ID. I said, I thought it was free food. She said, yes, but this is for chamber members. And if you're not a member of the chamber, then you can't participate. <laughs> and so I just kind of, OK, you know, I, I, I get that. I get in the car. You know, again, a little salty, a little upset, you know. You know when you build expectation and then you let down a little bit. So I get in the car and I finally get to Sam's Club because Sam's Club had the cheapest gas. You know, I pull out my card, you know, and I click it. It's not moving. It's, I'm saying, what's, what's wrong with it? They said, do you got your Sam's Club? I just threw up my hands. What? He said, I need a Sam's Club to use the gas station? Everybody has a gas station. He said, yeah, in order to get the price at the price that we have at Sam's, you need to be a Sam's membership. And so I get back in my car and I'm leaving out. And I thought to myself, oh, seems like membership has its privileges. <laughs> but one of the things as I corrected that was that I realized that there's going to be a time when God calls me home. And he's going to say, Marvin, as I examine your life, I hold this against you, I hold that against you, I hold this against you, I hold that against you. Why am I going to let you into my heaven? And I'm going to turn to Jesus and I'm going to say, because I'm a member. Amen. And membership has its privileges. <laughs> as Doug comes and as our musicians come, just always want to make sure that before we leave a place of worship and fellowship, that everybody can say, I'm a member today. That you know that because you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, because you've confessed your sins before him, and you've invited him into your heart, he promises that if you invite me into your heart, I will live there. His grace for you today says that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. My grace is so sufficient that I'll cover whatever issue you've ever gone through. Whatever sin you've ever committed, I got that covered. Whatever your struggle, I got that covered. It cost me my blood. It cost me my life. And I cover you for that. There's nothing that you can ever do that God can't love you for. That's his grace. His grace says, would you open the doors of your heart and let me live there? Why? Because membership has its privileges, not just in heaven, but right here on earth. Amen. As the musicians play and as Doug comes, why don't you consider that today?